My name is Brent, and welcome to the Follow the Fun podcast. It's a show where every week I sit down with one of my coworkers to chat about something they find fun, like one of their hobbies or something they like to collect, you know, something they do that isn't work. This week I'm excited because I get to sit down with Max Zampieri, and he's going to tell me all about his love of one of the greatest directors of all time, Stanley Kubrick. So Max, why do you love Stanley Kubrick? Um, I told you this before. He's got a great beard. He does he's, have a great beard. Yeah. And that look, that eye. Yeah, it's like really severe eyebrows. Yes. He looks intense. He looks intense. No, um, I mean, he's an inspiration uh, for so many reasons. But he, um, you know, he didn't do a lot of movies. Um, over 50 years, you know, he did barely, uh, you know, a dozen. Um well, that's If you include... Yeah, if you include like his early very crappy work, mm-hmm. um, like what? What was his early crappy work? Well, the, there's a documentary he did. He was um, cameraman, editor, whatever, producer mm-hmm. for this little documentary about this priest. Um, that it, it was called Flying Padre. That's the title of it. It's a very short, sweet documentary. You can find it online, but it's a um, it it's interesting it's a it's a it's a father that basically uh, is a pilot and flies to these remote locations to do you know his service and um it's weird but it's also interesting but if you count those it mm-hmm. you know you barely make it to a dozen that's crazy but i love i mean i love the fact that he you know he was always true to himself you know he only had one opportunity to make a huge Hollywood movie, and that was uh, Spartacus. Okay. And he hated that experience. That really? Was, yeah. Why, why did he hate it? What made him hate it? Um, well, it's known that, you know, he was brought in by um, uh, Douglas, uh, Michael Douglas' dad, Kirk Douglas. He okay. Was, he was one of the producers, and he wanted to make that movie. And he had uh, worked with Stanley in uh, Paths of Glory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he had, you know, he had seen how Stanley worked and how passionate he was about uh, art and, you know, telling a, a human story. Um, and, um, you know, he fell in love with him and he, he proposed to the studio that he would be the director. And Stanley, you know, hadn't had that huge break. He decided to, he decided to, um, say yes mm-hmm. and then he regretted that for the rest of, of his life I mean he he actually it's known that um, you know he was despising the fact that he had to answer to so many people you know during the production of, of Spartacus gotcha. yeah. I mean this is a you know w- you know a uh, multi-million dollar production mm-hmm. uh, back in the day big epic drama shot in the biggest cameras and and you know thousands of extras and and lots of money and locations and um, he he learned fast that he had a lot of pressure to answer to people but mm-hmm. um, he couldn't exercise his freedom right and this was an amazing opportunity for him to to talk to his you know his lifelong partner um, and say I I won't ever do this again and he basically from that point on. Um, he produced and directed his own movies at his own pace. Yeah. Um, 
And um, that just speaks volume about, you know, the way you want to work. And he decided to kind of be secluded. He hated DLA life. Yeah, didn't he move to England or something like that? Yeah. 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 I mean, people people say that um, he he was very frustrated at the fact that in L.A. everybody's looking at you, you know, mm. uh, with like that that um, two-faced look, you know. Yeah. One, one side of the face is like eagerly trying to get information from you to see what's next for you and the other one is trying to get something from you. I don't right. know. That that actually sounds very dark. It does. But yeah. <laughs> Two-faced look. <laughs> um, so, he, yeah, he moved to London and kind of secluded himself to work on his own project. Um, cool. I picture him in this, like, giant castle. <laughs> just he, just I, like, a, like a vampire. Yeah. Walking I mean, around. He did He did get, like, this this uh, very old manor state, mm-hmm. estate yeah, no, he's, uh, there, there are a couple of newer, doc, newer like, indie documentaries online and YouTube that you can find and where, um, uh, you know, Christine, um, his wife, mm-hmm. uh, is interviewed in that house and describes it. And you can see shots of, of the house and how he lived. And um, it's kind of interesting because, you know, he was, you know, he's very controversial throughout his life. Mm-hmm. And the fame that he got was... Um, you know, it wasn't, wasn't something he actually, you know, seeked. You know, he didn't go out and do interviews. He didn't like television interviews. He declined all of those. Yeah. Um, very few instances of his life you get, like, this radio or phone call interviews that are recorded. And those are, like, you know, um, such unique, you know, jewels. Mm-hmm. But they're out there. Yeah, it's true, because I didn't... I think I was telling you this the other day. I didn't even realize that he was uh, American because <laughs> I'd oh, never yeah. heard his speaking voice because he gave so few interviews. Yeah. I, I saw something with him and I was like, wait a minute, he's he's American? And I like actually looked him up and yeah, he's from uh, New York. Yeah, he's, he's very he's, American. He's from the Bronx. Yeah. He's, he's a boy from the Bronx. Yeah. And I mean, speaking about his life, I mean, I, I get a lot of inspiration uh, just, you know, thinking, just looking at his life. Mm-hmm. You know, he grew up in a... Um, you know, very common, you know, New York scene. Uh, you know, his parents were hard workers. He yeah. went to high school. He he wasn't great. He wasn't excelling. And he decided to grab a camera and start shooting. And, awesome. yeah, he, like, went out to the streets. But if you look at that body of work, like the, the published things, um, his photographs, mm-hmm. you can already see his very... Um, uh, his sensitivity towards the human condition. I don't even know if I should say human condition, but just like, you know, he was very attracted at um, looking at life as is and not making it grandiose. And I think that comes through like all his films. Yeah. There, you know, he photographed, uh, he photographed, uh, you know, boxers and um, boxing matches and, models and his first movie a killer's kiss well it's not his first movie but the one that he you know he bought a camera he bought a stock film he actually borrowed money to buy you know that and Mm -hmm. he basically directed and shot himself and edited himself and then sold the movie to uh paramount or universal i can't recall but he sold it for like seventy thousand dollars and that was a huge uh, you know turnaround yeah 
Yeah, so I was uh, digging into his early work on Wikipedia because I didn't know too much about him. Um, and you mentioned you mentioned a lot of this. So he was one of his first jobs as a photographer for Look magazine in the late '40s and early '50s. Um, his m- first major Hollywood film was The Killing in 1956. Have you seen that one? Yeah. Is it good? Or is no. it weird? No. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's it's okay. Yeah. It. It's, yeah. Yeah. And then he had two collaborations with Kirk Douglas, Paths of Glory and Spartacus, which you mentioned. Um, he moved to the UK in 1961, where he spent the remainder, of, most of the remainder of his life and career. Um, and then he did some yeah. British productions, which were collaborations with Peter Sellers, with Lolita in 62, and yeah. one of your personal favorites, right? Dr. Strangelove yep. in 64. Um, so that was some of his early stuff. And then I think after that was... 2001. Yep. Right. And then Barry Lyndon. Yep. The Shining. Yep. Eyes Wide Shut yep. in 99, which he completed right before he died. Well, f- you forgot Full Metal Jacket. Oh, I forgot Full Metal Jacket. I didn't write Full Metal Jacket down. When was that one? Like 70. That's that's something? in between. No, it's in be- no, it's um, uh, it's after, I believe he's after The Shining. Yeah, I think you're right. The audience will tell us if we're wrong. Yes, I we can look <laughs> it up. <laughs> um, yeah. Which is also one of my favorites. Nice. It's basically uh, one of the most successful movies, I think, to convey what it is to become that soldier. What? What? How do you cross that line where you accept that you're going to kill somebody and you're going to take somebody's life? What does it take? You know. Um, and he kind of shows a little bit of that in the first part. Yeah. And <clears throat> he goes on to show you what happens to that man in the second half. And especially, you know, he's talking about Vietnam and and that war was particularly um, crazy and took a big toll in, um, you know, humans, not just just the United States. I mean, we're still making movies about Vietnam. Exactly. To this day. Yeah. So he was was amazing. It's an amazing portrayal um, of you know, what happens to the human psyche. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's what I think. Like, he, he's he's not glamorous about the movie. It's not like big action sequence. Even though there, there are explosions and big practical fires, he found this, like, run-down uh, patch, I believe, in London um, that he wanted to shoot and have control of, like, long takes. And his famous work for steady cam work, you know, was a, he he was already famous about that how he used the camera and in, in a shot, but long long takes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he brings you in the action in a very unglamorous way and puts you, you know, in the middle of of that war. But more importantly, he puts you in the middle of that psyche, you know, that that mental state. Um, yeah. So that and. Go ahead. Oh, no. He's a master of putting you into someone else's psyche, for sure. Yeah. The ones I've seen, he's great at just, like, putting you into that environment, what yeah. they're seeing, what they're feeling. You feel it as an audience, which is cool. Yeah. I mean, that. I mean, he did that. In, I mean, we'll talk about 2001, but yeah. he did that with a freaking computer. Mm-hmm. You know? He, he brought life to a computer. Yeah. And made you feel that, you know made you understand why the computer would make such choices. Yeah. You know, ultimately, spoiler alert, but ultimately Hal kills everybody or tries to kill everybody. Yeah. Um, Dave is the only one that survives, um, Dave Bowman. But the computer is only doing that so it can survive. And that's a very human quality. You yeah. know, when it comes down to it, you're going to, you know, fight or 
fly. And you can't fly in that environment because they're constrained into one place. So yeah. he's going to, the computer's going to fight. How is, you know. So anyway, he did that with a computer. But I think, you know, you talk, you're talking about, um, we talked about how um, successful he was to, you know, bring you into that, you know, into the, the consciousness or the, the experience of a character. Mm-hmm. Every single movie um, has that. Even I Sweat Shot, his last movie, yeah. um, is such a dark um yeah, you know that movie feels like a nightmare. Like it feels like I'm watching a nightmare. And it is. It yeah. is very dreamy. I think that you know a lot of people don't give it credit. I mean, I didn't like it when I first yeah. saw it. Then I watched it the second time and I fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. It's just that second time, and I watched it like four times after that, just to kind of understand why. What is it about that movie? Why is it so weird? Yeah, and cryptic. And what it what what is he trying to say? Because, you know, with Kubrick, you watch a movie and there's so many layers mm. in that movie. Um, you know, you can, each one of them, especially the later ones after Dr. Strangelove, but even even before that, even with Spartacus, which is a big Hollywood movie, you can kind of peel peel layers out and kind of, you know, get a deeper, deeper questionings uh, of, you know, those characters and what they represent. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. I think another reason why I love Kubrick is that he's so prolific. Um, you know, you, you don't really have uh, other directors that have done all the genres. Yeah. Like he's done. I mean, he's done. He's done it all. He's yeah. done like, you know, the 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 film noir kind of the boxing one, a killer's kiss, which is like this lover's kind of thing, a killer's out to get them and the boxer and it's very dark and it's shot very well and he lit, you know, he lit, you know, beautiful scenes and moody things and he's done, he's done, um, he's done, you know, horror, uh, suspense, comedy, war, uh, you know, he's done it all. Sci-fi, one of the most epic you know, science fiction movies of all time is very unconventional yeah. for its time and what it accomplished. That's true. But what what I love about that is that, um, you know, he wasn't afraid to to use whatever medium he thought or deemed necessary to to convey that story to or, or to explore conveying that message, yeah. um, whatever message that was, and that is something to aspire to, you know. Can can I get 1% of that yeah. <laughs> passion or right. intelligence to to be able to, you know, explore any medium? That's cool. I mean, like, yeah, he had such a drive to find, seems like to find new stories and stories he wanted to tell because a lot of his work was based on books, right? Like, I know yeah. Lolita was and The Shining obviously was. Yep. 2001 was kind of a bit of both at the same time, right? Weren't they writing the book while they were writing the script together? But it's Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah, so he was a pretty, was, like, avid reader. Yeah, he was a voracious reader, yeah. apparently. He, like, you know, he wasn't a great, great student, yeah. but he... That's so uh, funny. He was, like, he was not a good student, and he skipped class a lot, and yeah. yet... Yeah. yeah, I mean, here's a guy... I mean, he was extremely smart, mm-hmm. um, and there's also something, you know, kind of important to mention is that you know the time 
the time he grew up, the place he grew up kind of influenced him, I think, uh, to a major degree, like seeing life as is, the Bronx. You know, he was born um, right at the end of World War Two, or, you know, World War Two was still happening, so war kind of had an impact on him, and you can mm -hmm. see it in his films. And um, I believe that, you know, that shapes the way you see the world. And so he wasn't reading. He wasn't in, I don't think he was interested in reading because he had an assignment. Yeah. You know, yeah. which is basically how we go through life. Mm -hmm. We do things because we have an assignment. He was interested in changing that. And very early on, he understood that if he was going to do something, he was going to pour himself in it yeah. 100%. So any book he picked up, he would, you know, devour it, I think. Yeah. That, I like to imagine. Yeah. The only thing I know, it was some, I think it was some interview or something I read about The Shining was that when he was, um, when he was like looking for the next story to tell, um, it must have been Christine or his assistant or someone was like outside his office and she just kept hearing like, Dum! and then like a little bit later, and, then, <laughs> and what he was doing was like opening a book. He had this like stack of books. Uh, and if he didn't like the story already, he just like threw it against the wall. And then she noticed a big lull in, dum, dum, yeah. and she walked in and he was reading The Shining, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. And then, yeah, I think it's funny that as much as he loved that book and as much as it captured his attention, he completely like deviated from the source material. Yeah. <laughs> it's just cool. It's made it his own. It, yeah, that's incredible. I mean, it, it's incredible. And. I mean, I, I have to imagine that he was reading that and immediately translating that book or whatever yeah. he was reading into, can I make this a movie? You mm -hmm. know, can I can I can I make this a visual expression of the same thing um, or interpret it? You know, into a visual medium. Um, and that's fascinating. I mean, yeah. can you imagine just like picking up books like that? And he wanted to do Napoleon. He had like this. Uh, gigantic need apparently or a desire to to shoot a movie about napoleon hmm. he had written i mean there's there's a lot info there's a lot of info out there in the internet um the web the web <laughs> the interweb um about it but he he apparently he never got to is that on the dark net can we look up stuff on the dark net the dark web dark dark, dark web. web no no why napoleon i mean i know napoleon's like a super fascinating character character just i mean it, it i mean it's it's a it's a war story mm -hmm. i mean it's a he, you know he was attracted to i think he was attracted to the idea that a person could believe or could get to a point to believe himself to be that superior and build an empire um no matter what the cost and then he had the aryan papers as well as a project that he dropped because Shindra's list came out oh interesting the aryan papers was a very dear project that he wanted to do yeah. um and it was about you know hitler huh. and so you know i think that it's it's uh, it's fascinating it's scary to think that as a filmmaker or whatever as a storyteller you can go into a place that you are at least considering the other side, you know, yeah. like what, why did Hitler do what he did? Yeah. And put yourself in his shoes. It's scary. Yeah. I think Kubrick had no problem in doing that. I mean, he was smart enough to, to produce, you know, um, movies that 
kind of do that, you know, with Lolita, you know, he was just, can you, can you go into that mind, mm-hmm. you know, a very controversial and then clockwork orange, which is another one that I think, yeah, you I think mention. I missed that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but you know, what, what happens in that mind, he had a very, um, uh, interest, interesting sensibility to, you know, to, to be able to achieve that yeah. compassion. If I don't know if, the, if that's the word he said, um, you know, there are a few things more fundamentally encouraging and stimulating than seeing someone else die. He said that. I mean, but he's he's yeah. probably right because we, you know, it's it comes down to like our our most our deepest fears and, yeah. and desires. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Here's another quote. He said, "I read. I order books from states from the states." Sorry. I'll start again. I read. I order I order books from the States. I literally go into bookstores, close my eyes, and take things off the shelf. If I don't like the book after a bit, I don't finish it. But I like to be surprised. So That's cool. Yeah. That it's like cool. go to Barnes Noble and just pick anything up and open it up and read it. They'd probably if you walked into a Barnes and Noble today and like closed your eyes, <laughs> spun around and started pulling that, books off the shelf, they probably wouldn't want you to stay. I I, I think I think that's that would be dangerous. Yeah, it might be for yourself, yeah. for your <laughs> well-being. So, of all these films, he's—I mean, all twelve, thirteen, however many you said. Um, what is one of your absolute favorites? Obviously, two thousand one. I mean, there's there's no question about. It. Yeah, I mean, what is it about two thousand one that is so fun for you to watch, or? What is it about it you love it's not, so much? It's not a fun movie. It's not. A, it's really it's, not. <laughs> it's not fun to watch. I mean, yeah. we we got to. We should probably say this. We we were lucky. Um, we were in New York doing this project together, mm-hmm. and we were lucky to see the last showing, actually, in the theater or in New York, actually, yeah. um, of the fiftieth anniversary release of re-release of the. Um, uh, 70 mil print um original you know print yeah um on this beautiful beautiful theater in the east village it was incredible we got 10 p.m 10 30 10 30 it was a late showing we'd been working um pretty much all day from like 8 30 to 6 30 it was a really tough long day we went and got food and then 2001 is very famously uh dialogue light long with a you're lot being kind <laughs> being kind yeah no one no one speaks for the first 25 minutes yeah. um with lots of long intermissions and soothing classical music so towards the end i think max and i were both as much as we love that movie it was getting a little okay let's stay awake stay awake yeah. this oh, is yeah. important stay awake <laughs> i was pinching my leg at one point <laughs> just like come on Brent, you gotta make it bud but it was I mean, it was incredible. Yeah. I, especially the the Stargate sequence at the end. I don't. I felt like I felt weird watching it. I've never felt weird like I felt weird watching that. Just yeah. seeing the the textures and the paints and everything that he had been using, or whatever the oil, whatever it was yeah. that he was doing. Like, yeah, it was so off putting. Yeah, but so cool to see it big and loud. And I think we shared that experience when the um, there's like a really shrill like high-pitched whistle noise or it's not a whistle but like a siren or something oh yeah that happens when when um at the lunar uh at the Tycho, yes you know uh crater yeah um they're 
Uh, we should talk about that sequence. Yeah. But yeah, but that happened. Like, you know, there's this high pitch thing that happens right when they're taking a selfie yeah. with yeah. the monolith. <laughs> yeah. And that's basically what we do. Yeah. We find something that is three million years old and, you take know, we touch it. And if the, nothing happens, <laughs> we take a photo with it. It's just, that's, you know, human nature. Yeah. But that noise scared the shit out of me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh God, I forgot about that. It, well, it was actually the first time I see a, a, um, a, pro, a projection um, you know, of I, I've seen 2001 in a theater, mm-hmm. but it was a positive. Uh, it was a 35 copy, crappy copy in Argentina, yeah. and it was it was not great. I mean, the sound wasn't great. the The focus of the projector wasn't mm-hmm. great, and I'm you know I'm nitpicky about that, but I still enjoyed it because that was my only experience of seeing it. You know, in a theater. Yeah. But then this one was 70 millimeter. Yeah. Sharp. Yeah. And the sound was amazing, uh, you know, this at this theater. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that pitch, you know, got to my bones, Yeah, that high-pitch sound. And then one one final thing to mention about that screening. you, I, I thought it was cool. You mentioned it. Um, there's all the sound, all the picture, obviously, but then that movie goes quiet, like completely quiet in a lot of very important moments. And just hearing that, like... Uh, the projector. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a really cool experience. Like, you just you become aware that you're watching the actual film. It's cool. Yeah, it, it it was completely unnerving. It was, it was yeah, that was something really new for me. Yeah. Because I've, I, at this point, um, I've, must have seen that movie, let's just say, at least 10 times. Yeah. To be, not to sound super weird, but, <laughs> um, and then this, this was the first experience where, um, you know, they're very quiet moments in the film, especially, um, you know, when, when, uh, Dave Bowman is, is out in space and you hear, you know, his breathing mm-hmm. patterns when he's out trying to rescue, um, Poole, Frank Poole, yeah. his partner. And, um, there are moments when everything goes quiet and you hear the projector, like, uh, I, oh yeah, there's there's a moment I think I believe, you know the um, the people that are hibernating, all the other astronauts, um, Hall is terminating them, which is something very different than the book. The in the book, something very different happens. Oh, interesting. Yeah, if I you never if read you the book, yeah, uh, yeah, listeners to this podcast, if you've never read the book, it's a very, you know, e- I I say the book is easier to read than to watch the movie yeah. even though we're super lazy beings and we'd like to just sit you know mm-hmm. in a large couch with popcorn and just you know take it all in this the, the book is actually easier at some point maybe yeah. i might be lying about that in the first <laughs> part of it but anyway no, i want to read it so there's that there's that sequence where hall is terminating t- t- terminating the life functions of the people that are hibernating mm-hmm. and in the movie um you hear this like beeps and you know when the life functions go critical and then after that when they die uh it become it, it goes very silent and at that point i i think that's one point where i i i heard the projector the yeah. in the back and it like i got goosebumps yeah. because it was that you know it was i don't know it was weird it was yeah. weird it was a weird moment yeah. Oh, the other moment that goes silent like that is when Dave is coming back through the hatch, through the emen- oh, emergency yeah. door lock. And so Kubrick make, makes a very, um, uh, you know, a very smart choice aesthetically to 
not put any sound whatsoever when Dave is experiencing the vacuum of mm-hmm. space when he's coming back from the pod into the ship. Um, so that's basically, you know, sound doesn't travel in the vacuum, so you wouldn't hear that. So Dave is not hearing any sound, even though there's explosions and things happening around him. So he makes a very accurate choice not to put any sound so we could kind of experience the same thing as Dave is experiencing. Yeah. And so that's another point where I, 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 I know for a fact that I heard the projector. Yeah. And it was amazing. So cool. Here's a question. Yeah. So we talked about not hearing anything in space. Um, and the direct contrast being a movie that came out not that long after 2001, Star Wars. Did you see Star Wars first or 2001 first? No, I saw Star Wars first. Yeah, same. And I wonder... I just wonder if, like, seeing 2001 after Star Wars was what made 2001 that much more impactful for me the first time I saw it. Mm. Because I was so used to a certain type of space moving. And then seeing that, and then recognizing that it was, what, seven, nine years earlier, something like that. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, it's um, something we should mention is that um, I think... Uh, Trumbull is the yeah Douglas Trumbull yeah so he Douglas he um you know he went from 2001 to Star Wars yeah and and many other you know movies after that uh, but he was the VFX kind of supervisor mastermind behind all the effects yeah and 2001 has only practical effects yeah um uh I believe that's true. I think I mean, so. Uh-huh. I don't think there was any computer animation. No, there's there? there's no no, and all the animations that were done were done with actual like animation yeah. cameras, right? Um, and then like rear projected or right. whatever. Yep. That's yeah, cool. yeah. There's there's a there's a ton of um, different practical effects happening, yeah. matting and all that. You showed me that clip of when um, it's in the it's in that f- uh, second segment of the movie. Yeah. The with Floyd when he's going to the moon base. Um, Clavius, Clavius, is that what it is? Mm. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, the base. And yeah. he's he's in the he's in the spacecraft, and he's like asleep in his chair. Yeah. And there's a TV screen. Yeah. On the chair behind him. And what yeah. were you? Oh, so the, I mean, that just talks about Kubrick. You know, he had a vision, and he was going to pursue that vision no matter what the cost. You yeah. know, um, there's this commercial, fake commercial, sh- being shown on that little flat screen TV. Yeah. Uh, at, you know, on the on the back of the seat is something that we have now, basically. Yeah. I mean, he was a visionary. Oh, yeah. But anyway, um, not to talk about that, but he basically there's this like fake car commercial happening when, when uh, you know, uh, while, while the astronaut is sleeping. And um, uh, he got uh, some company, I think it was Ford or something, to... Uh, lend him a the design a prototype of a car a futuristic looking car so what he did was to shoot that in uh, Detroit or whatever that was to send a crew with a 35 mil camera and shoot that um, and he directed how to shoot that obviously yeah and then he wanted to have as much control as possible um, in terms of what the actors so there's this couple being shown mm-hmm. in the commercial that is supposedly inside the car. Well, he shot that in London yeah. because he wanted to have control over the people that are being shown in the commercial, yeah. which is absolutely nuts because, yeah. you know, 
I don't think I've seen that. Like, I never noticed that commercial in no. the movie. It's there. Never. Yes. But to be, I mean, he, he had to, like, you know, the, 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 they use matting for, uh, to match the people inside the car. And it's kind of like a romantic moment that happens between them, apparently. Yeah. Um, but, like, the amount of effort and energy that went into that little commercial that happens in that screen, it might not even last a minute. You yeah. Know? Uh, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. But yeah, but uh, oh yeah, so going back to Star Wars. Um, you know, Star Wars is is a is a very different uh plate of food, you know. It's not trying to be accurate. Obviously, it's a different it's a different world. Yeah. Yeah. Um in a galaxy far far away. It's exactly. not our galaxy. So yeah. practical effects don't matter as much, mm-hmm. you know. That's true. Um but so yeah, so watching that first, it was definitely more about the spectacle yeah. and about that, you know, uh, religion, if mm-hmm. you can call it that, and about you know, um, uh, you know, the the the, f- the flashes and the explosions and the you know the 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 sparkles and then yeah. the magic around it, you know. Um, so so I don't think you can comp. I mean, it's not fair to compare them. No, but no. but 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 to your point, if you see that first um, and understand what space is, yeah, and kind of have like a a standard of what what space looks like mm-hmm. and space travel looks like on the screen, yeah, and then watch two thousand and one. It has a very positive impact because two thousand one is way more accurate and it looks more realistic, even yeah. though it was shot before. Yeah, and I think that's where you're trying to. But get yeah, at. that's what I was saying. It's like I'm used. I was used to the dogfights of Star Wars, like right. X wings and Tie fighters and all that. And then like you want to go some to some other planet, you jump through hyperspace, and it's a really quick like yeah. all the way through. And then yeah. I remember sitting down and watching two thousand two thousand one and thinking, wow, it is taking forever for this pod to just dock with this spaceship. It was like a five minute sequence. Yeah, and but at the same time, you're watching it and you're like kind of blown away that they were able to achieve that in 66 67 yeah between 66 and 68 yeah it's crazy yeah it's crazy to me yeah i mean what's what's interesting is that you you know if you can stomach 2001 today yeah i mean which you totally should you're not my friend if you don't but no (laughs) i'm kidding you heard it here first you're not max's friend (laughs) if you can't stomach 2001 in 2018 right that's 19 um no i mean like if you can stomach it really um that movie holds up you know especially when you if you see it big and loud Mm -hmm. uh not on your phone your computer yeah uh laptop little 14 inch laptop um it the effects are beautiful i mean the the way that the they had this artist kind of paint the earth, mm-hmm. um, you know, matte that they were going to bring, like, composite into the screen. And he, um, um, you know, he, he he does this, like, beautiful, you know, paint on glass. And then he spreads the, he makes the clouds using this razor or something. And a very tactile thing. So you mm-hmm. you see the, the earth. Yeah displayed like when you see it on the screen in the movie it looks beautiful it looks mm-hmm. absolutely beautiful and i don't think that you can you can get that feeling i'm not saying it's accurate 
or more accurate than a CGI version of the Earth. But that feeling you get when you see that is it's it's never going to be that. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe we have the technology today that yeah. to 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 make it. But um, I don't know. There's something like we were. I mean. We, you experience what it is to see a 70 mil print on the screen and the textures, the yeah. separation of things, like the actual, the the spaceships, mm-hmm. you know, going through space and, you know, going, you know, traveling across the screen, that there's this texture yeah. to it that, yeah. I don't know, it's really difficult to replicate. It's, it's like you, when you see the film print and you see it that big, you're sort of, you're aware that it's like really exceptionally great model work that was done. I mean, they built those, those ships, like the space station being what, like a six foot model. And then yeah, you just, I feel like you're more able to feel the reality of it when yeah. you're watching versus like seeing, uh, we'll just keep the references with in comparisons to like star Wars. When I saw that in IMAX, like the Force Awakens, yeah. uh, seeing that in IMAX, where everything um, is going to be more CGI, more mm-hmm. digital. It doesn't. It looks great and it looks super realistic, but it you don't feel the same way watching it. Yeah, you don't um, feel like you can touch that planet. I felt like I could touch the Earth in two thousand one. I felt yeah. like I could grab that spaceship. You know, I might yeah. die from the cold of space, <laughs> but I could grab it. Yes, know? yeah, very accurate. Yeah. No, totally. I mean, the CGI. The, the, I mean, Force Awakens is beautiful. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially in IMAX, you, you you're in there, you're immersed in the in the in the planets and you know all of that. But there's this sort of like unconscious separations that happens, at least to me, you know, yeah. um, because of that texture and yeah. whatever it is. It's like we're it's weird. we're sort of aware, in the same way that you're aware that it's model work and matte paintings, you're aware that it's computer-generated stuff. Yeah. There's only been a few things where I've been watching it, and I've been able to pretty much forget that it was computer-generated. Like, yeah. And that's only been very recently. Yeah. With and Infinity War, exactly. probably. That's, yeah, that's what yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's absolutely true. Um, even though it's like this, like, monster from another planet, yeah. you know, it's it like just... Looks feels, feels real. Yeah, yeah. We're getting better at it. For yeah, sure, definitely. Um, so I feel like we can't talk 2001 without talking about the music in it too. Yeah. Um, how did you when you watched it the first time? Did you sort of appreciate? Because I know you're a classical music fan as well. Yeah. Were you a classical music fan before 2001? Uh, yeah, then, I was. Yeah, yeah, I was. Because um, that movie uses a lot of classical cues. Yeah, I mean the the, the new. Um, yeah. But the blue didn't. But it's just I. I don't think that I was aware of the music as much on the first viewing experience yeah. of it. Um, so the first time I saw it was uh, right before I went to film school, um, and I saw it. Um, I saw it big, but it was it was a digital uh, copy that I probably stole from the internet <laughs> or somebody gave it to me. I don't know. Yeah. I can't remember. Um, but I I saw it. I projected it on a wall. Uh, and it was pretty big. It was like, I don't know, 100 inches, but I was sitting kind of close to it, and I was by myself. That was my first experience. Yeah. And I had done a little bit of reading before um, seeing it, not about the movie per se, but about Kubrick, and uh, just barely enough to understand what I was about to get myself into. Um, yeah. But it just blew my mind. I didn't understand anything the first time I 
I mean, you know, the, the movie ends and you're like, what <laughs> happened? Yeah. What is this? Yeah. You know, kind of, it's weird. Um, but it's so, but my, my emotions were like so stirred, you know, upon that first viewing. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think I, <laughs> I probably did notice that it was a very particular waltz happening, mm-hmm. you know, when, when we first experienced experience space. Yeah. Um, but, but no, I, I think it kind of, it blended itself so well that mm-hmm. um, it was after my third or, you know, fourth, you know, watching it, uh, that it stood out. That it was yeah. like, oh yeah, that's, that's an Austrian, very particular waltz. Yeah. Why, you know? Why was that chosen? Yeah. Yeah. I was, the first time I saw it was, um, I worked at a video store in like high school and I, uh, I just sort of picked it up off the shelf cause I was f- sort of familiar with it. I was like, oh, I know this 2001 is like a very famous, uh, movie and I should see this. I want to see this. And I watched it on my laptop in bed, but I had headphones on cause it was pretty late. I'd worked a late shift and I didn't want to blast a movie in my bedroom while my parents were sleeping. Um, and I, I remember, like, I did. I remember the big, the first cue, thus spoke Zarathustra, yeah. Zarathustra or whatever. Um, kind of didn't really remember the waltz, but then for the next week, I was kind of walking around my house going, Oh, yeah. That. And that was yeah. fun. Yeah. <laughs> that one was, like, lodged into my brain for a while. Yeah. Because uh, it was so eerie. So, yeah. Ugh. It, yeah, it's, well, the, the, the composer for, for the uh, the movie, like he scored something, and yeah. he, you know, he realized his score wasn't in the movie when he <laughs> saw the movie at the theater with the at the debut or something. That he was very upset, but um, uh, yeah, I think it, I, I think that has to do with uh, Kubrick being like so flexible. Yeah. I mean, uh, he's here's a guy who's supposedly famous for being um, very controlling um, or very meticulous. Mm-hmm. I don't totally agree with those descriptor- descriptors, but, um, you know, he's known in some ways to be that. Um, and, you know, you would think that he had a vision and he knew what he wanted and, and he wasn't willing to try new things, but that's that kind of is contrary to what what he shows, you know, yeah. throughout his life and his body of work or whatever. Um, so, uh, you know, it's famous, you know, the fact that he used, how he found the classical music cues and those famous songs for the movie, it's 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 well known. I mean, it's just an accident, yeah. basically, because he was listening to those things when he was cutting in the edit room. Cool. And then he he kind of asked around how people felt and mm-hmm. he was willing to accept, you know, their comments. And I, I think it's, it speaks volume about the person he was Yeah, to kind of be that driven, that focused, that um, sure about his vision yet to be flexible enough to open the floor for comments yeah. about, Friggin' music yeah. about that crazy yeah. choice of music. You know? That's such a huge component of the movie to say, I've got this score, I've got these temp cues. Mm-hmm. What works better? 
mm-hmm. and then to be able to just completely jettison a score. Yeah, he didn't tell the guy, which is whatever. <laughs> yeah, but still, like mm-hmm. that's 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 huge for. Yeah, you know, any, any, that that's, does speak volumes to his like sense of collaboration. <clears throat> yeah, awesome. my so my favorite. So if we talk about like my favorite music, you know, there's 2001, and those are you know, you know, like you know, they, they would describe they would be described as a stroke of genius to mm-hmm. use those, you know, for the first time in sci-fi and yeah. big, big Hollywood movie. <laughs> um, you know, it just. It's uh, it's amazing. But my favorite, my favorite cues are not from those from that movie. They're from Bear Linden. Um, yeah. Bear Linden is this like slow burn. People describe it as the most boring period movie ever, um, and I love it. It's one of my yeah. favorite movies. It's amazing. Um, I love it for for many 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 reasons. But um, aside from the cinematography, mm-hmm. aside from the character arc and the story that happens. Um, in Bear Linden, um, the music, how the music works, why it works, yeah, uh, to put me in that period uh, is just fabulous. So if if you've never seen Bear Linden, I know you haven't. Yeah, uh, that's another one to 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 uh, project or see it big. Yeah, it's uh, the cinematography of John Alcott is ridiculous i mean this is one of the movies that, like this is this is the other thing i love about kubrick it's like what does it take to make this um one of the best classics one of the most iconic period movies of all time mm-hmm. um well he wanted to light scenes with candle like no no uh artificial lighting in some points so yeah. To for you to be able to do that, you need very special lenses that didn't exist. <laughs> well, only NASA had a couple designed by Zeiss that were super bright. Uh, you know, basically, the brightness of those lenses uh, are faster or uh, are are brighter than our than the human eye. They can see more in the dark than the human eye. Cool. And he was able to use those. Uh, adapt those to the cameras yeah. with special fittings so he could shoot candlelit scenes uh, in the movie. And when you watch those scenes, it's it's just, I don't know, it just, it, it completely changes the way, you, because you might, like if you're not keen to seeing the technical aspects of a movie, but you just experience that mm-hmm. big, you're immersed in that era or period as close as you can there's yeah. no other experience other than just like i don't know time travel time travel obviously. right but um yeah that's true i don't consider that but um it's amazing it's just beautiful it's one of the most beautiful movies and and then the thing is like you know the the outdoor scenes they were so uh they are so unique and they're timeless because uh, they shot it in loca- like on location mm-hmm. uh, in Ireland and England, and the, the places they shot the movie, the you know they're they're known to have this like very rapid, or quick, unexpected changes in weather, um, and uh, you know their their moments, their scenes where like the 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 clouds come in and the exposure of the character changes, and so um, he kind of knew that he would have to have that um have to um work with that so Mm -hmm. he kind of worked with his cameras that that uh allowed the photographer 
or you know the camera operators to change the aperture and the exposure mid shot really so, yeah 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 that's cool yeah so i mean there are a couple ones that you can see it yeah you can see it um how it changed from like sunny to cloudy and the co- the they're compensating it yeah uh if you look for it but um and then some shots there's berlin there's a shot of berlin coming down around a bend of this dirt road and this like there there's there are, um there are mountains in the back and there's nature and the clouds mm-hmm. the light of that shot is a freaking painting. I mean, it's just unique. And he didn't plan for it. He he was ready to shoot. He had to, like, waste film, um, you know, until he got what he what he wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, that has very... Um, it has a very high impact. I mean, he basically worked in my dream uh, way of making films, which is he controlled the schedules. He mm-hmm. controlled the budget. And he was a very, you know, avid producer. He he actually sat down to to design scheduling and all of that as well. Yeah. He wasn't just creative vision and that's it, you know. Uh, because he wanted to be able to do that. You know, Berlin took a really long time to shoot. It took like nine months of shooting or yeah. something like that. Um, and then Ice White Shot, it's got the world record of, you know, shooting time yeah most um, takes of tom cruise walking through a door probably uh yeah well i mean yes yeah yes um like 60 something takes yeah. i don't know um but i mean that gives you the control um or that gives you the the opportunity to to not be pressured by you know big executives that are trying to see dailies mm-hmm that work, you know, maybe you take a week shooting the same shot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Man. I mean, I, I wish I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can we shoot like that? That's all we do. Next, next project, Ron, let's just demand that we shoot it with lenses that don't exist. <laughs> Hit up NASA. Say, Hey, what yep. do you have in the way of camera lenses? We <laughs> want to use those. Obviously. So Max, I so you mentioned I have not seen Barry Lyndon. There's a few Kubrick movies I have not seen. Yeah. Uh, what would you recommend to people if they are not super familiar with Stanley Kubrick? Like, where do you start? What is, and then what, in your opinion, is his most fun movie? Since, yeah, since that, this is I would follow the fun podcast. Yeah, I would start. I, I would start with the most fun movie, and to me, that is Doctor Strangelove. Yeah. I mean, it's an incredible. It's a funny movie. It's so funny. Um, and especially, I mean, if you, if you consider, consider, uh, you know, the, 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 the historical context of the movie, mm-hmm. it's like mid Cold War era and he makes a movie, he makes a comedy, a satirical black comedy about the relationship of these two powers and how stupid that was Yeah. in the middle of it. Um, and he, so just, just, I'll just say that. Go and watch that movie, and just just allow it, you know, to happen in front of you, yeah. um, and uh, understand. Maybe, maybe, maybe uh, do read about Peter Sellers, and yeah. you know, if you know who he is, oh, and yeah. how, you know, I was a huge Pink Panther fan as a go. kid, so I'm very so, familiar with Peter Sellers. <laughs> so you know, you you have that, yeah. and then um, uh, you know, um, George C. Scott mm-hmm. is another character that is absolutely 
amazing in it and also read about him before you before you see the movie but um cool. uh that that's the one that would that kind of would start um everything if you've never seen any kubrick movie um i would definitely start there cool no that's questions good to asked know. yeah good to know. well i think we're about out of time here yeah and you got any final thoughts about stanley kubrick that you'd want to give to our listeners um yeah there's i guess there's this one quote that kind of summarizes a lot of my love for Kubrick. Uh, he wrote, um, if it can be written or thought, it can be filmed. And then there's another one that accompanies that, or I put them together, um, that it goes something like this. I can't exactly remember, but I'm going to paraphrase it. He said, um, when a man cannot choose, he ceases to be a man. Um, that is huge. It took, I mean, it, it really really resonated um with my own struggles um you know not just not just our work not not how we go about doing our videos and whatever but it but it really resonated to you know to the point that i i sat down to really ponder why why is this quote bothering me why mm -hmm. why do i like it and hate it at the same time and i think it it's because it represents the way he kind of lived his life you know, he recognized that the you know that there are millions of choices that you have available to you every day, and that if you let pressures like big executive, big big, big executives or um, budgets or I don't know whatever limitations you think you have, dictate your choices, then you're not being what you know you should be. Yeah. You're not being that, and so and then the other one, if it can be written or thought, it can be filmed. Is is basically kind of his philosophy about if you can conceive it and explain it to somebody, you can film it. You know, and I take those two to heart, and I love the fact he said that. I, I wish he would have made more movies. Yeah, I but, do too. That's it. Go watch, go watch Doctor Strange. Love. I that's, will. And Barry Lyndon. Those yes. are the two that I definitely need to see. Yeah. Well, Max, thank you so much for sitting down to talk with me, man. I hope this was fun. It was fun. Good. Good. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Follow the Fun podcast. I hope you had fun because I definitely had fun. It's always fun. This is a pre-recorded thing, so I'm assuming it's always going to be fun. Um, if it's not, well, then I'm just a liar, and that's cool too. No, it's not. Lying is terrible. I should stop. Let's just do credits. Follow the Fun is a Myriad Media podcast hosted by Brent Edwards, that's me, engineered by Melissa Douglas, and produced by Hillary Scott. If you really do like what we're putting... If, if you really are picking up what we're putting down... If you're digging the fun, please make sure to give us a like and a comment and subscribe on iTunes or whichever podcast app you use. I personally use Overcast. They're not sponsoring this. That would be sweet if they did eventually because uh, that'd be cool. But that's the one I use. That's the one I always recommend to people. Anyway, if you're digging it, like, comment, subscribe. This is basically a YouTube channel. at this point. <laughs> But if you don't like it, that's cool too. Uh, we're going to keep making these things anyway because they're fun and that's kind of the whole point. Thanks again for listening.